And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Hello, everybody, and welcome. We are live from the bunker that is the super-secret underground bunker deep beneath world headquarters. I am firmly ensconced in the gold-pressed, latinum-plated throne here in the Batcave. My name is Jason Hutt. I'm the editor here at sci Me.com. Sci-Fi for Me TV, Sci-Fi for Me Radio. This show is available as a podcast on various different player platforms, so check us out there if you want. And those of you who are listening to this as a podcast, I do invite you to check out the live video every now and again. We are live right now going to YouTube, Odyssey, and Twitch. We have started simulcasting back to Twitch again, so we'll see what happens there. Of course, uh, if you're not with us live, if you're here via Memorex, you can always leave us a comment. You can send us an email live from the bunker at sci fi for mecom You can join our Discord server, which is a new thing, but, uh, you know, some lively discussions happening over there. So uh, check that out. <coughs> My guest today, I have had uh, uh, as a guest on the show once before, and I have to, I have to admit something here. I did not realize that it had been, it's been almost three years. It's been two and a half years uh, since she has been on the program before. Uh, Nadia Afifi joins us again. Welcome back to the program because you popped up on socials. And it was, hey, my third book is coming out. I was like, wait a minute. I interviewed him for the first book. When did the second book happen? How, how does the time just jumps? And now here you are finishing your trilogy with this, with this new book. It's called The Transcendent. It is the third book of the Cosmic Trilogy. It's out this week. Uh, it came out on Tuesday. Uh, congratulations on, uh, on completing the trilogy. How does it feel? Yeah, thank you so much. It's great to be back. Um, it's a little surreal. Um, it's, I think, been 10 years since I first came up with the idea for this trilogy, and I've had the ending in my head for a really long time. So to have it, you know, in print um, right in front of me is is pretty wild. So uh, has has the process gotten any easier? Because when we first talked about, you know, we were, you, when you were first here, it was... You know, that was your that was the first book. Now you're doing the third book. How has your process changed if it has? What what are you doing differently now than before? Yeah, I definitely uh go into a new book with more of a plan. Uh you know, like there's the whole are you a you know, planner, like pantser or plotter, you know, what kind of a writer are you? Um the first book was very much kind of by the seat of my pants, I kind of came up with things as I went. And then about halfway through the book, I got my act together and figured out where I was going. But uh, yeah, going forward, I like to have a clear destination in mind and, um, you know, put a little bit more structure around what where I want the characters to end up and how I want, uh, you know, the story to kind of progress. 
So um, yeah, like this particular book, the third in the trilogy had a lot more of a, of a clear plan kind of chapter by chapter. And then it was just powering through it. Now, the first book we talked about um, back in October of 2020, and the, 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 the description of the write-up talks about faith, science, and cloning. And in this particular, uh, this third book now, you have your main character, your protagonist, who is pregnant with her own clone. And, and it seems like the cloning has become... And I will admit, I haven't, I haven't read them. Apparently, I haven't gotten a review copy of any of these. I need to go out and get these, the, these books so I can read them. Uh, but the, the cloning has figured prominently in this story so much that she's pregnant with her own clone, and now she's on a quest to find the very first human clone in order to save, what, save humanity, save the planet, save the cosmos. How, how <laughs> high are the stakes in this one? Uh, stakes are pretty high. I definitely got a little bit ambitious with, um, with with the stakes in the book. I mean, there's essentially kind of two villains uh, that my character has to deal with. There's um, the head of the kind of the cultish compounds that she originally came from. She escaped from this compound as a teenager. Um, and then, of course, her past kind of came back and caught up with her um, when she got assigned to this cloning project. And... Currently, the the head of these now unified uh, compounds is yep trying to trying to destroy the world essentially or at least control it. Um, he's been leveraging a powerful mind control drug to sort of command an army and you know trying to attack um, you know um, the cities that she calls home. Uh, so he's after that clone as well, um, and uh, you know it's. Yeah, like you said, the first human clone. So she's on a hunt. And then the reason she's pregnant with her own clone uh, kind of came as a cliffhanger at the end of book two. So apologies. There's like a we're talking about a minor spoiler here, but Whoops. I put it in the blurb. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, this uh, scientist who is trying to use cloning to, uh, you know, uh, basically uh, crack the, the egg of human immortality, you know, being able to transfer a person's consciousness from their own body to uh, a cloned version of themselves. So the vision is, you know, you could just keep cloning yourself and keep moving your consciousness to a newer body and being able to live forever. And of course, he's, uh, you know, willing to do anything to kind of reach that end. And a uh, result of that is, you know, the first human clone was part of that experiment. And, uh, Amira, the main character, has been unwillingly uh, cloned as well. So she's now carrying her own clone. And as far as she knows, the scientist, you know, Tony Barlow, has tried to transfer her own consciousness so that it will carry on with her new clone. So the stakes are pretty high for her. You know, she doesn't know if this experiment is going to succeed. Um, you've got two kind of very dangerous people after this young clone, and yeah, she's got to save the world on top of it. The idea of the, the human consciousness, the soul, if you will, this this thing, what makes us who we are. Um, when you're when you're getting into philosophical discussions, you're getting into theological discussions. The definition of you know the soul, the spirit, the the thing what animates us, and science fiction has played with this for a very long time. The, this idea of being able to transfer your consciousness 
into a clone, into a robot. I mean, we saw this with the 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 first season of Picard. You know, he he dies, and they transfer his consciousness into a into an artificial person, and you know he's Picard is now an android. And the the other part of that that I don't think gets as much attention in science fiction at least not that i've seen it's it's possible it's out there but it's you know there's always the talk of cloning you know the 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 actual process itself the ethics of it and you know it's it's not so much a focus on what it is what is the consciousness what is the soul because i think some writers don't necessarily want to go in that direction they don't want to touch that subject because it's such a it's such a third rail for some people when you're planning all of this together did that ever occur to you that we need to go one way or another do we have to treat cer- certain p- parts of this topic with kid gloves did you have any trepidation at all about getting into the idea of what this what this consciousness this essence how you define it yeah i definitely um i kind of wrestled with how i felt about that at the start of writing the series and you know wanted to figure out where i wanted to go with it um i am very pro cloning i kind of reject the uh kind of concerns that a clone is somehow um a lesser person or like a true copy of a person so you know as much as i believe in a soul or a unique kind of consciousness i believe a clone would have unique consciousness, but, you know, um, my, my books definitely play with that though, because we don't have someone just purely being cloned. We have someone being cloned for the purpose of making the original person kind of carry on. And that's something that comes into play in a big way with this third book is, you know, this first, uh, human clone is now like a, you know, um, like an eight, nine year old girl. And, uh, she's got elements of her mother, um, and her memories and her selfhood, but also she's her own person. Um, and, uh, part of what my character has to do is help her reconcile those two things. You know, she's kind of victim of a very cruel experiment where she's neither entirely, you know, the first person, but not entirely herself either. Like if you can just imagine having memories uh, from someone who came before you and they're not truly your own. Um, So I had a lot of fun kind of playing with that idea of, you know, of, of personhood and yeah, like what, what makes you, you. And for me, a lot of that is memory, you know, like what, what, what you've experienced and, and what you, you hold in your mind. Well, and we've seen that play out with uh, stories like the Bad Batch, for example, with with Clone Wars and and the idea of the clones developing individuality, whereas they weren't originally designed that way. They were just you know these are all carbon copies of Jango Fett, and they, and they'll they're programmed to follow orders, and they'll do whatever you say, and that's and that's the end of it. They're property. And yet, throughout the Clone Wars and now into the Bad Batch, we're seeing a lot of these clones, well, all of these clones have developed individual personalities. They're all unique. Um, and and a lot of that is, like you say, memories, life experiences, the things they go through, you know, because they're all, they're all having different experiences, and that does inform the process of how they develop. 
is there is there research into this that you used as part of your world building, or is this is this something that you've that you've dived into in terms of the science of it, and you know, like white papers and research documents and that sort of thing? Uh, not aggressively. Um, I read a couple of kind of short um, short books about the science of cloning and getting a little bit into the ethics, but. Um, I'm not a scientist by trade, and I didn't want to write a hard sci-fi novel that really went into the how of cloning. Um, so I'm kind of lazy. I just did the minimal level of research to make it intelligible and make it make sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I read articles on on this stuff periodically, and like human consciousness, like the concept of it is is a really fascinating one to me. So I kind of, you know, read read uh, about the latest in the trade and then just formulate my own opinions and think, you know, what would make an interesting or compelling story. How much of a challenge was it to balance uh, the faith and the science aspects of it? The faith and the science. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I wanted to take a kind of contrarian approach to some, you know, cloning fiction you see where, um, you know, cloning is kind of framed as impeding on uh, on faith and, you know, that being like a, you know, kind of a, a disconnect there. So like the, the villains in this story see cloning as unnatural and evil and kind of an affront to religion. Um, and, you know, I wanted to make that the underlying conflict of, you know, kind of like an irrational fear of cloning compared to the legitimate science of, you know, uh, doing cloning and making it work. But of course, it can't just be that simple. So the scientists are trying to use cloning for um, questionable reasons as well. Now, are you basing the villains, the corporate guys, on any particular real life analogs? Are they are they amalgams? Are they... Uh, composites of various things or you or did you create them out of whole cloth uh the uh kind of the the corporate scientists um aren't really based off of a particular individual um they were part of this kind of new age uh religious movement and so that that's kind of the other angle to the story you've got a kind of more traditional religious cult, uh, you know, that's kind of the more misogyny, you know, um, sort of old school kind of religious group. And then the scientists, a lot of them belong to a group called the Cosmics, who are more of, uh, you know, trying to take what they know about science at the time, you know, about multiverses, um, about quantum physics, and reconcile it with a religious belief. And I kind of frame them as just as dangerous in their own way, because they're also trying to, you know, fill in the gaps of our knowledge, as one of the characters says, you know, with with faith, and they're willing to do anything in support of um, of, of those beliefs. Um, I did uh, I did read a, a book a while back that talked about um, quantum mechanics and consciousness. Um, and as I was reading it, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And it's giving me a lot of kind of comforting ideas about existing after death and, you know, consciousness carrying on and everything. But then when I kind of stepped back from it, I'm like, oh, a lot of this is wishful thinking, you know, it's things that I would like to believe, but we really don't have evidence for it. And so that idea kind of inspired the cosmics and the main villain, uh, you know, Tony Barlow. Um, 
on the other side of the coin, uh, the head of the, you know, traditional religious compounds uh, was kind of based on, uh, this is going to sound a little weird, but um, an article I read on Vladimir Putin back when I was a teenager in uh, like Time magazine. Um, and this was like back when, you know, he was just coming to power and people were trying to understand what makes him tick. And, uh you know, the thing that it said that kind of stuck into my head was, you know, he doesn't seem to have a real ideological position. Like, you know, he's not a communist. He's not a capitalist. He's not really um, he doesn't have an ideological interest aside from just power. And at the time, it was believed, you know, kind of a sense of grief about Russia's loss of power and wanting to kind of you know, make Russia great again. Um, and uh, I like that idea for a villain, especially, you know, the, the head of these religious compounds who are generally a fanatical group and they're willing to kill for their beliefs. And here's a guy who doesn't really truly believe in the doctrine of the compounds. He um, believes in advancing the compounds. You know, they're his team and uh, they're like a, a group he wants to advance in terms of power and, uh, you know, whatever, whatever suits his interests. Uh, he will, you know, leverage that and exploit that, but he doesn't really have convictions beyond um, power and seizing it. Um, and so, yeah, I guess Andrew Resnick, the head of the compounds, is loosely based on Vladimir Putin. It sounds a little bit like Reverend Jim George, uh, Jim Jones, too. You know, in that, you yeah, know, yeah, with the Kool Aid and stuff. So, okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> so. Some people hearing this, not not having read the book, not knowing your background, uh, the question might come up, are you painting religion in a bad light? Is there is there a particular uh, a particular way? That because I'm hearing religious compound, religious fanatic, you know, the fanaticism and that kind of thing. Are you keeping that specific to this group? Or is there stuff in the book that people will look at that and say, well, you're painting with a broad brush. You're saying that all religious people are fanatics. It doesn't sound like you're doing that. Did you did you yeah. ever, did you ever have a thing where, no, I got to I got to pull this back. I got I to gotta dial back a little bit on this. I, I want to make sure that we're specific to this, this group of people, not all religious people yeah. are crazy. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the early drafts of the book lacked that nuance, and that wasn't an intentional thing. Because, um, yeah, like I, I do take a more nuanced view towards religion and, and, and the benefits it can have uh, for individuals and for society at large, right? Like the the abolitionist movement, the anti-slavery movement was, you know, propelled by religious people, you know, the Quakers and so on. Right. But um, yeah, I think the um, early drafts kind of, they were the bad guys. And when I signed with my agent, um, they were really instrumental in making sure that one, it didn't seem like I was picking a particular religion, you know, as kind of the, the stand in for this group. And also that, you know, um, it's not all terrible and, you know, um, it, it can be a force for good. And, um, you know, there are complicated people within both of those movements, you know, um, and those compounds who, you know, do good and bad things. So there are times when, uh, authors, authors will sometimes get accused of being self inserts. You know, they'll put themselves into the book. 
At other times, you have authors talking about how much they identified with a particular character. Do you have a favorite among all of your original characters here? Is there is there one that kind of sticks out and you go, "That's that's my that's that's my guy right there. That's my person." Yeah, yeah. In the uh, the first book, uh, the Sentient, um, definitely uh, the main character, Mira. Um, Rosine Hall, the, the woman being cloned, and the kind of snarky scientist Valerie scene. There are elements of myself in all three of those characters. You know, I think uh, um, Amira's kind of the person I was um, many years ago, like maybe about 10 years ago, kind of less sure of myself, uh, very kind of eager to please and excel, um, but also somebody who kind of buries a lot of things and tries to make everything appear to be going fine when it's not. And uh, then, you know, Valerie Singh kind of represented maybe more where I am right now. And Rosina's kind of my more neurotic, darker side. So I definitely pulled for myself a little bit with all those characters. And yeah, like I was definitely aware of that when writing the books that you don't want to create either a Mary Sue character who can just do everything capably and has no flaws and also not do an insert of myself into right. one particular character where it's just naughty on the page. Cause yeah, that would not be as interesting of a book. So how has, how has Nadia grown, changed throughout? Because not only are you writing a trilogy, now you're on your you know third book is done. You've had this process of going through all of this, but you've also been doing this in the middle of all of this that's been going on over the last three years, I mean, you mentioned Putin. We've got, you know, we've got the the stuff going on in Ukraine. We got the pandemic. We've got all of all of these different, you know, the economy is is in turmoil. All energy crisis. All of these things. How has how has all of that affected where where you are? personally and as an author are, are you looking at some of your story material like whatever it is that you're working on next is has that been impacted by what's been going on the last three years uh, i think to a degree um yeah like the, the the timing of everything has been pretty wild like my first book came out during the pandemic and then yeah we've had like you said climate issues re-elections and all that good stuff. And uh, I've always been, um, you know, like political and uh, that works its way into my writing. But, um, you know, like I've also had a lot of kind of personal revelations, I think, in the last couple of years about what's important to me, about life being short. And really the best thing we can do is to be kind and to be understanding. And so, you know, I try to to bake that into everything that I write, you know, not trying to push a viewpoint, uh, you know, just down the reader's throats. Even if I feel strongly about something, you know, I like to kind of wrestle with ideas and, you know, play around with that nuance a lot. And uh, also just make, making sure that I'm entertaining people and I'm, and I'm writing things that are moving as well. Um, you know, like my, my current book that I'm working on, is not particularly political. Like there's going to be some elements of politics in there, but it's about a guild of time travelers. And um, the main thing I'm kind of focusing on is, you know, it being fun and uh, having compelling characters. And 
Uh, I want people to resonate with it. But um, yeah, I guess kind of disentangling myself a little bit from current events and from, you know, the latest kind of negative crisis in the news, because it it can drain you, you know, and I'm sure it drains a lot of people right now. And we have to care about those things, but not be consumed by them. Right. I have uh, I have made the made the comment on a number of occasions that my 2023 bingo card is fill in the blank just because I mean, you don't you don't know what's coming next. Right. It's just yep. OK. Yeah, uh, well, of course, that's that's the next thing. So it's it's been a little bit easier uh, to not react to things as much because I'm, I'm just in a position now. Well, well, of course it is. <laughs> you know, that's just, that's just the next thing. But when you're, when yeah, you're going. Objects being shot from the sky and yeah. I'm like, yeah, uh, uh, are, yeah. Sure. Are the aliens, right. who knows? Yeah. Right. It's, and, and, you know, we've had, we've had conversations here about what kind of, 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 you know, flying objects they are and what's next. And, you know, all sorts of conspiracy theories. And I mean, you could get, you could get pretty wild with some of this stuff. I, I, I'm finding uh, various different discussions online about different things. And I'm like, okay, um, this is not a rabbit hole I want to go down. (laughs) So I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to click away, click away, click away. Um, But yeah, it's, but but it is a challenge though, I would expect to, keep that from seeping into the work because it's everywhere it's on the news it's in our entertainment our 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 celebrities are talking about it our politicians are doing this and the you know doctors are doing this and 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 corporations this and you know all of these different things did did you find yourself coming up with various techniques do you have to remind yourself how do you, how do you avoid current year current events from from seeping yeah. into the story so much that it dominates the story? Yeah, um, having uh, having beta readers is definitely helpful to get like a you know an outside set of eyes on things, like to make sure I'm not going down a rabbit hole. Um, I also just try to step back and say, hey, is this in service of the story and is it going to speak to something, you know, universal? Um, Like one example of that is uh, like a novel I just finished and turned into my agent um, has a uh, parkour racer who uh, also smuggles on the side and gets entangled with um, a pharmaceutical company that is pushing a kind of like a a basically a torture drug, but it, you know, can cause like extreme time dilation where, you know, uh, a week feels like a year and people can use that for all kinds of nefarious reasons. So you've got the big bad corporation thing. And then you've also got a theme in the story of like fake news and, you know, manipulating, uh, you know, media and online communities and, you know, companies going in there and planting confusion and playing two sides of an issue and, that's the thing I'm really into as a journalism major. Like I've got a background in journalism. So, you know, anything media related, I'm always interested in, but yeah, as I was writing it, um, I had that question of, um, yeah, like it, it, it'll be buzzworthy if I'm doing interviews on this stuff and I can talk about it, but is it going to resonate, you know, five or 10 years from now? And, um, you know, is it going to connect with people and, uh, I think you just you, you try to write it in a way that's um, 
that speaks to something universal. And like, I think our, like, our distrust in institutions, you know, not being able to trust information and pe or people's perception that they can't trust media is going to be a thing that's with us for a while. So if you write it in the right way, I think it's a, it's a good topic. I think that's something that is probably going to haunt the media more than anything else, probably over the next, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years, maybe, because, you know, surveys are saying yep. now people people trust the media less than they trust politicians. And that's saying a lot because not too many people trust politicians. I think I think it's something like 26 percent for Congress. And it's a mm -hmm. it's a mess. And, you know. It's it's something that's taken of you know the last hundred years to get where we are. It's not going to be something that gets fixed overnight, but it's also something that you know we kind of did it to ourselves. And it's people not paying attention to those institutions, and now suddenly you have you know corporations like BlackRock and Vanguard and and Disney owning everything. And now now how do you extricate yourself from all of these? Uh, you know, monopolies essentially. You know, right. You've got you've got just a handful of companies that own all of it, and that's yeah. a that's a th and actually that might be a that might be a topic for a novel. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then when uh, when you can't trust you know media and institutions, then you kind of just go with whatever you want to believe, right? It's like we all have like those people on Facebook or whatever social media that just share anything that they agree with and it's a fake image or it's a fake story and you can't convince people not to question the source right because yeah. they believe what they want to yeah all right i want to pick up the thread on that here right after the break we're going to uh really quick uh throw a spot in here for google to interrupt us when we get back we'll continue our conversation with nadia afifi right after this don't go anywhere our transmitters are made from hand wavium. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Hi, this is Timothy Harvey. And I'm Leslie Walker. And we'd like to invite you to come along with us on a journey into night. Fear, despair, gloom, and doom. Body horror, night terrors. Haunted houses, demon possessions. Witches, warlocks, ghosts, and goblins. Politicians, corporate CEOs. <laughs> Wait, no, that's not the show. Never mind. An exploration of horror from around the world awaits you. Join us for Foreign Bodies, Saturdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 Central, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Good morning, Multiverse. Saturday morning at 11, 10 Central, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. I think this sign maybe uh, epitomizes uh, a little bit of, of how things are. I am so far behind on so many different things. Uh, due to the current workload, the light at the end of the tunnel has been switched off. It was a candle anyway, and uh, I don't know that it's that it's anything really that that uh, is ever coming back. I don't see an end of the tunnel. Too many things. All right, continuing our conversation with Nadia Afifi. She is the author of the new book, The Transcendent, which is the third book in the Cosmic Trilogy, uh, which is a, a, a an intersection of faith, science, and cloning. We talked back in October 2020 uh, about uh, her first book, and uh, that's— Too much uh, of the book away. No, 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 I don't want you to hit that. 
But there it is. I'll, I'll put the link to this conversation in our notes after we get done here. I want people to be able to see that as well. Nadia, let me ask you, because this is, uh, this is something that comes up uh, on, on a number of different things. And you even, you've, you've alluded to it here about trying to make sure that the story entertains and doesn't lecture, doesn't preach. You're not you're not over the top into you know, you must think this way or or anything like that. There's also the question of you know the trust factor, <clears throat> but not just with the politicians and the corporations because you know yeah we expect the media to lie to us at this point really i mean it's kind of a given but on the entertainment side of things we have a, a number of people in the creative space who are using dishonesty as a marketing tool you know jj abrams lies all the time I mean, he lied about con you know and and those those kinds of things uh russell t davies has turned it into a gimmick where he knows he's lying. We know he's lying. But somewhere in there, he's told the truth, but we don't know which one it is. And he's made a game of it. And then you have, you know, people, you know, just regular authors, people who are, you know, like you or just cranking out the books. And you're just, you know, I'm, I'm doing my thing here. I'm not getting involved in the drama. And, and traditional publishing, I think, has taken a hit over the last few years, especially with regards to the, to the Hugo Award stuff and all of that, you know, kind of imploding. There's been a lot of back and forth, you know, complaints about traditional publishing getting too luxury. How much, how much do you have to dial yourself back on the, I mean, we talked about the self-insert stuff. But you really feel passionate about this one topic. And you really want to tell people about it. Where is it appropriate to do that, though? Yeah. No, that's an interesting question. I'm kind of chewing on it. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel that effect of, you know, having to dial back on certain things. And, you know, maybe when you're a more established author, you can get away a little bit more with speaking your mind on, on everything that you want to talk about. But um, definitely just, you know, be active on, uh, you know, Twitter and on a lot of like the forums where a lot of people in publishing are. Um, you got to be careful about about your your branding and, and your framing and you know how you kind of present yourself and your views and um, you know for the most part I think I'm able to be pretty candid about the things that are important to me and that I care about but um, it definitely drives a lot and I think um, it also you know kind of drives to a degree how books are picked for traditional publishing and you know what kind of you know, makes it past that editorial board, um, you know, and I'm, I'm aware of that also as, um, you know, like, I, I'm a white author, I have a lot of privilege, but I'm also Middle Eastern, um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, half Palestinian, and, you know, I want to be able to write about um, my experiences and, you know, write Arab stories as well. But, um, you know, I'm always conscious of, you know, how you frame things and what kind of Arab stories are realistically going to get published and also are, 
you know, um, people in traditional publishing who are mostly, you know, white and uh, non-Middle Eastern, how are they going to perceive it? Or are they going to be nervous if I'm covering a topic that they're not sure how it's going to be received? So um, it's definitely a, a, a little bit of a minefield, and I wish it wasn't that way, but um you kind of just have to learn to, to navigate the waters. Yeah. Now, have you had these kind of conversations with Flame, the the people at Flame Tree Press? Because some some publishers are a little bit more inclined to lean into the politics than other publishers. I mean, you can you can compare Tor and Ban, for example, with how they approach mm-hmm. what kind of stories they tell and how they're marketed. Uh, did did you have discussions with flame tree over what kind of stories they're interested in and how we're going to market this what kind of things that you should or shouldn't say in the in the interviews because a, a lot of times it's up to the author to do all the marketing you know back in the day yeah. your publisher would put a bunch of money into it and they would market the book especially if it was a top shelf big name but nowadays mm-hmm. It's it's mostly on you. You you do the interviews. You set up all of your stuff with your marketing material and your promotion stuff and your website and all this. But did you did you have conversations with Flame Tree about how you should go about marketing this book, promoting promoting the trilogy? Um, not really. Uh, Flame Tree has uh, generally been, I think, really really good about. They think they get they get the trilogy. They got where I was going with it. Um, they understand me and I've felt very supported by them and, uh, they haven't really seemed to have any concern about, you know, the, the political element of, of the stories. I mean, when we put marketing material together, you know, um, I answer questions about cloning and the ethics of cloning and all that good stuff. But, um, yeah, it's never been a thing I've, uh, had to kind of sit down and talk about with my current publisher, um, I think where I've seen it more is just being on submission, you know, like you um, write another book and my agent sends it out to editors and, uh, you know, um, we're, we're trying to get a book deal. And that's where those sit down conversations happen of how will, uh, you know, publishing houses perceive this? What are some things they might be concerned about? What is some framing uh, that might, you know, come up as, as a reason to reject the book and, Um, When I first wrote Sentient, um, that was a conversation I had with my agent where, um, you know, they felt like um, the compounds and the religious element was a little bit too close to current events and in a way that might look as negative framing, like I'm, you know, targeting specific religious groups or trying to frame things in a certain way. And they suggested, you know, this is 200 years in the future, Um, make your religion more futuristic um you know like science is going to evolve you know faith is going to evolve and it was a great idea and when i rewrote it that way it made for a better book so you know it's not always bad sometimes having that awareness will make you more creative and and result in a better end product but um yeah i have seen it frequently said uh, that it's easier to write in the far future than it is to write in the near future. I mean, you're you're only 200, 200 years, uh, you know, projecting 200 years out. Mm-hmm. And yes, humanity will evolve, processes will evolve, technology will evolve a certain extent in that amount of time. But mm-hmm. also, you know, I, you know, 
look you look at Star Trek in the 1960s, it, which is set 400 years in the future, and we already have all of this technology that was that was projected there. And right. so it's it's kind of much more of a challenge, I think, to predict what's going to happen next as opposed to way down the line did did you did you find that to be the case in your in your stories yeah i think going further into the future does give you more to kind of play with you know you can have things go in all kinds of different directions uh but still keep it grounded in themes that are you know speaking to the here and now and I mean, that's part of what I love about science fiction is I can talk about things that hit close to home, you know, like growing up in the Middle East, you know, like women's rights and all of that. I can touch on that, but I can do it in a world that feels very different and very removed from the present. Right. Um, although I, I do think near future sci-fi can be fun to read um, for that other that other angle of it, like um, Paolo Bacigalupi, you know, who wrote The Wind-Up Girl, um, that that to me is more kind of near future sci-fi and it's just so fascinating. Like, you know, what he writes about the climate, about, you know, genetic engineering with crops and all of that, you know, it's things that are in the news right now, but, um, but laid out and in a way that feels very believable and just compelling. I think the other thing too, that's been in the news a lot lately is the, the, the question of AI, you know, artificial intelligence, chat GPT and, and, and mid journey and, and artists and, and authors and people sitting there going, well, you know, we're about to be replaced by the machine and the machine has proven to be, you know, not quite as reliable as people thought, you know, it's garbage in garbage out because it's, you know, it's however, however right. you program these things. Do you have any story nuggets, any thoughts for some from stories that involve artificial intelligence in any way? Or do you got any of that on the on the burner anywhere? Yeah, I've never been a big um, a big believer in the, you know, robots are going to take over kind of, you know, line of science fiction. Um, like you said, like the human brain is way more interesting to me. Like we're the human brain is the most complex known thing in the universe. And there's so much you can do with human consciousness um robots i mean the technology has come a long way and you can see some pretty cool stuff but generally um you know any kind of ai or robots are good at one particular thing and one thing only you know i don't see them replacing humans um the chat gpt stuff is definitely interesting and that's been you know a hot topic with uh you know story submissions and fake essays and all of that so there's definitely an interesting angle there, but yeah, I haven't really, uh, it's not a topic I've, I've really tackled much in my fiction aside from having, you know, cool kind of robot sidekicks that, um, you know, gives some entertainment. <laughs> okay. So you've got a project, you've, you're working on time travel. Now, is this the one that you just submitted or is this a different one? You've got, you've got how many, how many different projects are you working on right now? Yeah, um, I've got I've got two. So the parkour racer one, um, I previously finished and um, kind of didn't get anywhere. It died on the vine, and I just did a very not fun edit where I changed it from third person to first person. Um, I do not advise that for any writer. Like pick your pick your tense and pick your perspective correctly the first time because it was a very painful edit going through the entire novel and rewriting it. But um, it reads a lot better now. So that one's, uh, you know, done. And 
uh, ready to go out. And then, yeah, the, the project in progress is uh, time travelers. Um, and uh, my, my version of time travel, which is not actually um, traveling back in time completely, but being able to see and access the past. So you get out of that whole annoying time loop thing where you go back and you change the past and it changes the future. I feel like that's been done so much, but I like the idea of being able to observe the past and uh, take people back with you. So, so okay. So, so time travel, you've got uh, cloning. Uh, you, you mentioned before, you know, with your research into cloning, not getting very deep into the, into the weeds with it. Mm -hmm. Do you have any interest in any kind of hard science fiction, military fiction, political science fiction, anything like that, that that maybe at some point, maybe you don't feel like you want to tackle it now, but is that on the horizon? Yeah, I mean, I, I do enjoy reading hard science fiction. Um, like one of my recent favorites is, you know, the Three Body Problem trilogy um, by Shijin Lao. Um, and that's, you know, deals with, you know, hypothetical alien counter and advanced, uh, you know, kind of science. Um, I'm not a big military science fiction person in general. Um, I, I have a lot of respect for it, but probably not a road I want to go down. But um, quantum mechanics and, you know, um, uh, you know, the whole quantum reality thing is really interesting to me. And as I get a little bit smarter with it and read more about it, I could see making that a big um, feature of a future novel. But definitely not quite there yet because that's a pretty ambitious uh, yeah. straight science to wade into. It's probably about as difficult as it gets. You know, no, nobody really understands it. Right now, when <laughs> you're do when you're doing your research, how much of your journalism background is coming into play with all of this? As far as the the tools that you use, the the skills that you have from that that line of education and experience. Is that is that something that you're able to use uh, a lot, a little? I say a little. Um, you know, like back when I was doing journalism or in J school, you had all of these you know repositories you could go into and places where you could go and do concrete research. Like I used to go to libraries and look up old, you know, um, newspaper clippings from like the 1920s and all of that and. Um, I don't really get that fancy now. I'm mostly just Googling, but I do believe in reading books on the subject and finding out who who the experts are and who the authorities are. So you're not just looking at a clickbait article and, um, you know, if you want to learn a topic, really getting into it. How do you decide what is a credible source these days? Because now, you know, as we talked about, you know, the the trustworthiness of the media, the trustworthiness of the internet just in general, you know, social media has proven to be uh, problematic in, in, you know, with the algorithms kind of giving you, the, the algorithms feed you what you want to see type of thing, right? We get a lot of confirmation bias into all of that. There's, there's, there's that feeding into it. So how do you vet your, res your, your research materials? Yeah. I mean, I think you look uh, kind of broadly at, you know, who's covering the subject, who is considered to be an expert across the board, but also looking into the people 
um, writing about a subject and looking at what else they talk about and what their motives are. Because, I mean, I've run into that where you're looking at something and they seem to be very knowledgeable, but then they're only presenting one angle of a story and one side of a story and, you know, um, they have an agenda. And that's not always a bad thing. Like, you know, um, all of the great muckraking journalism, you know, back in the day where you had Upton Sinclair and, you know, um, Ed Wells and all that looking into things. Like, I, I'm definitely a believer that it's okay to have um, a viewpoint and an agenda when you're um, researching something. But as a person researching, you just have to be aware of that. Um, so yeah, I could probably go on forever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's a it's an interesting conundrum because you know who do you who do you trust? Where where do you go and and how right. do you know that the information that you're getting on any subject? I mean, not just not just you know Ukraine or the economy or anything. How do you know that the information mm -hmm. that you're getting is accurate? I mean, even even some of the stuff I mean, we we look at the trade magazines from Hollywood, you know, Hollywood Reporter and Deadline and, and Variety. How do how do we know? We we have uh, uh, frequently discussed uh, the fact that it appears uh, more often than not that those are just PR mouthpieces for the studios. They're not actual journalistic, you know, we got to dig down and find the truth of the thing. It's here's the latest press release from Disney, from Sony, from Universal and whatnot. And it's and it's yeah. only as good as the well, it's not even as good as the paper it's printed on because it's not printed on paper anymore. But you know, you have to sit there and kind of look at everything with a certain amount of skepticism, bags of salt at the ready, because you you just we're just at a position now where you can't trust anybody. Right. Right. And the whole going out for diverse opinions doesn't always, you know, give you the information you need as well. Like, you know, like Ukraine is an example. If you go with like a very pro-Ukraine, Ukraine-based person versus like, you know, Russia today, you know, you're going to get two very different viewpoints. But, um, you know, the truth could be somewhere in the middle of those two. You know, you don't get um, or like, you know, Israeli-Palestinian conflict is the same one. That's one that's near and dear to me. You know, you could follow news from both sources and you'll get you'll get that nuance but um you know everything will have a strong slant to it so i don't i don't really know the answer to it so i i totally agree with having uh, a healthy dose of skepticism but i think the emphasis there is healthy like if you're too um distrusting and cynical then you kind of go the route of well you know i'm just going to share this meme on facebook because it has the same weight to me as a new york times article but um you know having healthy proportionate levels of skepticism in what you're reading or kind of just asking yourself questions as you're consuming information you know thinking what would it take for me to change my mind on this topic or or what additional information would you know cause me to rethink something that's a it's a healthy way to consume media in I, this day and age i yeah. would i would think that being able to uh access time travel in order to discern truth about certain events would be helpful uh, yep. are, are you are you diving into a little bit of that with what are, with what this story is is like oh it actually went that way not this way yep. there, there's some of that in there oh 100 percent. yeah like there's um one of my characters uh 
works for a kind of a futuristic uh, kind of fascist government in Britain. Um, and, you know, she works as like a tour guide for going back into the past and showing people like, you know, um, Anne Boleyn being executed or this king being coronated and so on and so forth. But yeah, because when you go back into the past, you sometimes learn that things are different from what the history books told you. Uh, her Her government employer is very kind of restrictive on what they will show in the past, um, you know, and then that becomes an angle elsewhere. You know, people can learn what happened to their ancestors with a historical event. And, you know, um, like I, I could get into the religion thing as well. You know, what were these religious figures really like? Yeah. So there's a lot to play with and that's definitely going to um, be a, be a significant part of it. Um, which is fun. There's there's a little bit of a 1984 vibe to that, right? You know, history is written by the winners. Yeah. Or or you get into the case like with the Roald Dahl books, you know, where we rewrite what actually was written. And, yeah. you know, that becomes a concern now because, you know, who's next? You know, you have a number. I mean, R.L. Stein apparently has been rewritten and he didn't even know it. And right. you, you've got these, you know, people out there, there's, they're going, this is, this is wrong. This, I mean... Sensitivity readers, fine. You want to employ them, okay. But changing things from the past, you're basically rewriting history. You're not. You're not looking at the opportunity to say, okay, our culture was X at this point in time. These are the fiction is just as much of a time capsule as any historical document or you know any any kind of an event like a memoir or a diary or anything like that. You can also look to fiction as this is what it was like back then. This is what the influence was. This is what the culture was. It is. Are we? Are we? Are we in danger of losing that? Do you think? I think so. I was actually just talking to some friends about that very topic recently. Of like retroact. Like I think it was uh, Lord of the Flies that they were removing references to like Piggy and you know, um, kind of body shaming language and. Um, yeah, like I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty PC and progressive on, on, on things, but I do draw the line that retroactively, uh, you know, rewriting text and removing problematic elements, you know, I don't think it really, you know, like you said, sensitivity readers are great and everything, but it doesn't really serve us to rewrite that history. I think you just have to look at things in the context of the times and, and make that part of your analysis. Like I love classic Russian literature, you know, Dostoevsky and all of that. Um, do they have problematic views towards women and how they depict female characters? Absolutely. And when I read that, I read that with that in mind. And I think about that as I'm analyzing what I'm reading, yeah. you know, I think we need to, yeah. we need to teach people how to look at that context and analyze rather than, this is wrong and this is upsetting. Let's sanitize it. Well, know? and I think a lot of authors probably would be smart to uh, start putting clauses in their contracts, their publishing contracts that basically says uh, once it's published, that's done. And any revisions that take place are done by the author or the author's assigns and heirs or whatever, and not just yep. arbitrarily, you know, just doing it for the sake of doing it because whatever whatever people may feel about today's modern culture it's going to change 
you know, the things, oh, the yeah. things that people say are important now, <clears throat> you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, we're going to look back and we're going to say, oh, well, that was kind of silly or that was that was pretty smart and that everything's going to change. You know, the cultural mores are going to are going to evolve and they're going to, you know, flip around and we're going to have different things that we find important and culturally significant. And and if we're like you say, if we're sanitizing all of our literature we wipe out so much of our cultural history that, you know, I think it's going to cripple generations going forward because they're not going to understand what's come in the past. Right. No, I mean, I'm, I'm completely prepared as an author that like five or 10 years from now, there could be something in my books that people pick apart and, um, you know, I, I have no way to prepare for it or control for it. It's just, you know, yeah, when people read, read our books, you know, 10 years from now, that'll be part of what they critique, you know? Um, so, okay. So, <laughs> so the parkour book is the next thing that's in process. Is that right? That's been submitted and the time travel book Correct. is work you're working on now. So, uh, so this, uh, now the transcendent is out this week. Uh, Nadia's website, NadiaAfifi.com. She is also on Facebook and she's on Twitter, and uh, there's a Pinterest link in there as well on the on the website. I don't I don't know that any of our audience does anything on Pinterest, but all of these links <laughs> are going to be in our show notes. And Nadia, let's uh, let's make sure that it's not uh, almost two years before we do this again. Absolutely. All right. Uh, yeah, it was great talking to you. All right, you great too. being here. All right. The the book, The Transcendent, it's out now. Go check it out. And uh, we will also put a link in the notes for our first conversation with Nadia. And tomorrow we've got uh, Open Line Friday. So you can call in with your thoughts and questions and ideas and complaints and rants and raves and whatever. Tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, we've got the Rancor Pit uh, discussing various different things about Star Wars. And I imagine we'll talk about a lawsuit. <coughs> Or something there. So join us for that. And you can connect with us on social media. We're on 10 different accounts. <clears throat> and uh, the Discord server there. Subscribestar. All the video platforms. And all of that. So uh, so connect with us. Any of those places where you're comfortable. And we will do this again tomorrow. Thanks very much for being here folks. Remember there are four lights. This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2023 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 